Hello, uh, this is part two of podcast with Billy Porter. I can't believe it. You're going to love it. If you haven't heard the first part, go back to the feed and find it there and then come back here for more. Here we go. What were some of your worst first gigs you had to do? Um, I have this voice. I have this singing voice. And I call it extreme singing. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. For mm. lack of a better description, I was a man who could sing like Jennifer Hudson. Mm. Extreme singing. The height, the velocity, the texture, the power, the agility. I mean, I could do anything that very few men could do. And I was one of the first to be doing it on Broadway. But my voice was so high that it didn't fit into traditional male musical theater roles because most of the roles were too low for me. Mm. And this was the 80s where we didn't have computers where we could press a button and change the key for the whole orchestra. So it was too expensive to change keys. But but my talent was undeniable. Mm. So people wanted to use me, but there were very few places where I could fit. So I found myself being pigeonholed into this clown position right? where I could drop in, example, Greece, you know, to play the teen angel in Greece. That's one song. They gave me carte blanche to rearrange the number. And I did. Mm-hmm. And it's a gospel version, essentially gospel R&B soul version of beauty school dropout. You can see it on on the internet. I did not know that. Yes, please. And it was great. But the unfortunate part about that is that with the extreme of the talent came the extreme of other people's version of what that looked like, which was not real. They put Mm -hmm. me in 14 inches of orange rubber hair in a spacesuit and made me prance around like a little Richard Automaton on crack. I didn't show up to do that. I'm a very serious person. And I was turned into what I talk about in my book, a millennium coon. Mm. I call it the millennium coon show. When I'm listening to you say that, you're reminding me of what Hannah Gadsby said, you know, with Nanette, right. I'm not going to send myself up anymore. Right. I'm not going to play into the hands of the thing that you want me to be. Yes, it's definitely that. And mm. to your point of, Sometimes when you can't see it, you don't know how to be it. Mm. I, had, I had never seen a representation of a Black queer man that wasn't tragic, trauma porn, the butt of the joke, the one to be reviled, the one to be killed until Angels of America. Mm. And I took myself to see Angels of America by myself in 19... 19- 94 and I was forever changed. Was that the same time you were doing Grease and you were pulling on this big rubber wig going? I was, we, our theaters butted up against each other. The back of our theaters butted up against each other. Ours was was the Eugene O'Neill on 49th and theirs was the Walter Kerr on 40th. And people used to say, we could hear your number on our stage. Oh, no. But it changed my life. You know, that moment changed my life. And I was like, oh, Jeffrey Wright played the part. And I was like, 
that's where I need to go. Mm. That's who I am. One of the things I I love your latest single, by the way. Children? Yeah. Written by yes. M and E K and Lil is it Lil Mix? Yeah, Jay Thurwell, right? Yeah, Jay Thurwell. I was gonna say Lil Jade. Lil Mix, yeah. When are we gonna get more music? Really soon. Oh, good. The album is done. Oh wow. It's extraordinary, if I may say so myself. For me, because I've been in the business for so long. You know, I had a whole other career in the 90s. You know, my first R&B album came out in 1997. They kicked my black faggot ass out of the R&B soul world because I was gay. And I've had an opportunity to have a second chance. And so this music I wrote with, um, uh, you know, executive producer Justin Trancher, who's essentially number one pop writer in the business right now and he happens to be mm-hmm. queer and as gay and flamboyant as the hills and together we have created i think my masterpiece as far as music is concerned it says everything i wanted to say and it sounds like everything i wanted to sound like and it needs to sound like for the market it's pop music I call it adult pop. It's adult pop music. We like adult pop. And then you've, you know, you've said, um, I cannot wait to hear that, by the way, because children. I'm so excited, but children is a taste. Yeah, great. And MNEK is genius. He is a genius. Jade, obviously. Um, so I grew up in a house with, my dad was actually like a jazz pianist oh. before he was a photographer. And he, I grew up in in a house where he listened to like Al Jarreau, Will Downing, oh, all these people okay. all the time. I know, and um, and then so I I really love your first album. Um, My first album is great. I, Thank you. My first album okay. is great. You know, I it's like every track I love, but I I it, feel like I've heard you say that perhaps it's not you. Well, it was about being masculine uh, imagery was about being so masculine that my personality was limited. Think about it. Mm. You're one of the like three people that has that album in the world. <laughs> um, I, I tease, but like, think about the image on mm. the cover of that album mm-hmm. and think about who you know me to be now. But was the music from from you at all? I have to say yes and no. I would say about half of it was, and half of it was not. I was actually, you know, really interested in more of a live neo soul mm-hmm. vibe. And I was kind of forced into this Luther Vandross, I love you space. Right. I was actually more interested in like, and still to this day, and you'll hear on my album, I'm a, yeah, I sing about love, but I'm also a message oriented music mm-hmm. person. You know, I come from the gospel music tradition, you know, so I wasn't very comfortable with the sexuality and the sex of it all. Yeah. And uh, that makes complete sense. And c- can I just, I'm having a slight brain melt about this as I want to ask the question. But was Luther Vandross gay or do we not know that? 
he was so gay. And the reason he went up and down in weight mm-hmm. and died at 52 was because he was not allowed to be himself. Mm-hmm. I have some weird memory. The right reason I hesitate bringing it up is like, we don't talk about that. I don't know. There's well, nobody talked about that. And the black community doesn't talk about that. And it's the black community's homophobia that killed him. And I'll say it. Right. Because it's because he lived. And I knew Luther. It's because he lived and 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 laid down his life that I can be who I am out loud and proud. It's because he did it. It's because he did it. Oh, and that's just, it's beautiful. And I miss him so much. Mm. And I know his partner. Mm -hmm. His partner who nobody ever knew was his partner. Mm. It breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart. It makes me so happy and so determined to make sure that it's a different story now. Mm. It's a really sad truth in queer history, black queer history, that people have to die for other people to move on a step. It's really sad. And that's black queer history and that's everything. And I speak of that all the time. I say it is not lost on me that at 52 years old, coming out in 1985, going straight to the front lines to fight for our lives during the AIDS crisis, and being plopped into this homophobic business, the homophobic world. It's not lost on me that I'm a part of the generation that kicked the door down, that changed the conversation, that trailblazed. It's not lost on me that I'm a part of that generation. And it's not often that the trailblazers get to benefit from the trails that they've blazed. And I'm getting to do both. Mm. It just takes my breath away. You know, Lil Mm. Nas X is because we blaze that trail for him. Mm -hmm. He gets to be a black, gay, out pop star because my generation blazed that trail for him. And usually I would be somewhere destitute, desolate, and nobody would know my name. That's how it usually goes. Not this time. Yeah. And you had that lovely letter from a couple in Australia. Oh, uh, yes. Do you remember about them? The, the, the boy who likes to, and he wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name. I, I feel like I have the book somewhere. God, I, it's a beautiful uh, children's book about a boy who likes to wear dresses. And this little boy came home one day and was bullied at school and his parents were like where would you want and this Mm -hmm. kid was bullied and he came home and said I don't want to wear dresses anymore because he had been bullied and then he saw me on the Oscars Mm -hmm. and uh, his parents contacted me on uh, Instagram and his father wrote a children's book about it and uh, you know for the one person who's been living under a rock who might be listening, when Billy wore a tuxedo dress to the Oscars and that meant that that kid could be themselves again. You know, going back to growing up in the church, they used to call me little preacher man. And I preached my first sermon when I was 11. 
10 or 11. And I knew immediately, no, this is not it. Mm-hmm. And as I've grown, I've realized, ah, the very thing that I was banished from the church for is my ministry. Dare I say my ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so grateful that I've lived long enough to see the day where I can live in the fullness of my authenticity and change the conversation. And one of the things that I've been trying to embrace in these last few years of this collective trauma that we've been going through and this, the intensity of the pushback is that the change has already happened, y'all. Let's start speaking life into ourselves. Let's stop embracing the negative and start speaking the positive because the positive has power, just as the negative does. Our words have power. Fuck them. Mm. Scared because the change has already happened. Fear me. You should be feared of me because I am the change. And there is no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. And is there, I noticed in the film on a wall, a Shirley Chisholm quote, I am and always will be a catalyst for change. Yes. It was not my idea, but my team knows me. Yeah. I love The that. little things show up like that all over the place for me when my team is with me, you know, because no, they're that. there and they know exactly what I need. And the other has a family from a previous relationship and doesn't want more. What do we do? I'm not a good person to answer that question. (laughs) Why is that? Because I don't want children. (laughs) So I'm not partial. I I like, I'm not in the middle of this. But I think you have to, I I think you have to have real conversations and the tough conversation and decide together together. And whatever the decision is that you come up with together, then will dictate whether you stay together or not. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but. And the other, th- you know, the thing is like, it, it could be wants a baby, but it could be wants to go to this restaurant for lunch. You could replace that with, it's like, if you're in a partnership, 
you've got to solve it as a partnership. Yeah, compromise. And, and also what I think is really useful is, you know, you you can be very in your own problems in a relationship, but actually a really good conversation to have is to go, how do we together solve this thing that is a, a disagreement for us? We both want each other to be happy. Yes. But you know, how do we, what do we do when things like this come up? You know, I think it just takes the heat it's out. It's the communication. And, the communication is the tough yeah. part in a relationship. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's constant. Okay, well, thank you. We hope that was of use to Anonymous. Um, ADHD queer creatives, how to get over creative failure? Well, I think failure is a teacher. Failure is the thing that teaches you how to move forward. For me, it was always the engine. It's always been and will always be the engine as to how to move forward in the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Even with this movie, I think, you know, I had a lot at the post of this movie and dealing with the studio was something that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that I failed, but it was very traumatic. And now I know how to move forward with the next one, with the next opportunity. I know how to engage differently. I know what I will stand for and what I won't. I know Mm. what my integrity is and how to express it now. Mm. So I've learned so much. And so I think if you, failure is a difficult word. You know, I'd love to find a different word because it's such a negative word, but inside of the failure is where the lessons are. If you're not happy to fail, then you're not happy to learn. Right. Right. That's where the lessons are. Absolutely. And if you want to get better, you've got to learn. And I know we all can't be bothered, but (laughs) you've really got to, you've got to put yourself in positions that mean that that you're learning and that means you're going to fuck it right up. And creative, you've written creative failure here, the person who's written in. A creative failure is we hope nobody dies, you know, and the best, best creative people who I have been around in my life are the people who do not give a shit about fucking up. And they're very open to being vulnerable about the fact they don't know how to do something and all the rest of it, you know? Yes, totally. One final question, how to approach opening up your relationship? It's communication. And both people have to be on the same page with it. And it's constant communication. And there needs to be a willingness to understand that the openness morphs and evolves over time. And it's not the same all the time. It's not the same kind of openness all the time. And the rules of engagement come through the really tough communication. And communication around other things as well. Because, you know, how to approach opening opening up your relationship is sort of like, how do I ask? It feels like, and it's like, well, you need to be talking about everything all the time. And then this will come out easier than just you two never talk about anything. You do this all the time, honey. You're like Dr. <laughs> Ruth over here. <laughs> what an honor to have you giving us the advice with us, Billy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, What's next for you? I know that we have the Oscar missing from the EGOT Emmy Grammy Oscar Tony. How are we going to win that Oscar? Because there's multiple categories in which you could be nominated. Um, Well, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. the script for our son is very what I call Oscar grabby. 
I don't approach my work like that. You know, I can't because it's just too, it's just too much, but I just show up and do the work. You know, I also have done the soundtrack for Anything's Possible. I wrote five songs with Justin Tranter. And my hope was that that would be eligible, but because it went straight to Amazon, I'm not sure that it will be now. So, you know, I'm I'm just doing my work. It, it will come when it's supposed to come, when the universe says it it's supposed to be it come. I, I you know, I just focus on the work. I'm about to go to Toronto to direct an episode of a new show for Fox called Accused. My new music is coming out. And um I started my new production company called Incognegro. Oh, I and, love it. Um, where I have a, a first book deal with FX Studios. And yeah. we're trying to get, you know, I'm trying to tell stories on television and film that I write and direct or produce or create or cultivate or whatever. So, you know, I'm trying to be the head bitch in charge, honey, on all fronts. <laughs> On Thursday, I'm joined by YouTuber and comedian Daniel Howell. It's a great chat. He is so funny. He famously left the internet, had this huge following, huge, and decided to pack it all in for a bit. And we go deep on why that happened. It's really interesting. Have a Google of him. Should you not have heard of him? I imagine with his enormous following, why would you not? But anyway, it's a great, great chat. So tune in for that. Get in touch on Instagram, Homo Sapiens. Uh, Facebook at Homo Sapiens Podcast, not on TikTok. Email your comments, questions, and agony uncles listeners to hello at homo, homo, homo sapiens podcast. Thank you for listening. That was a beautiful episode. What a lovely man Billy is. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye now. Powered by Spirit Studios.